just by being who you are, people will be drawn to you as you go about doing your thing. And so what I do is my thing. I do what is going to be interesting, challenging, growth-inducing, all these things. But I also put myself into groups of people (laughs) that I think will be my people. My name is Samantha Riley, and this is the podcast for coaches, course creators, and experts who want to grow their influence, income, and impact to take their coaching business to a million dollars and beyond. We're going to share the latest business growth, marketing, and leadership strategies, as well as discussing how you can use your human design to create success in business and life inside and out. Create the influence, income, and impact you need to build your business so you can create your ideal lifestyle. It's time to make a difference and scale up. This is the Influence by Design podcast. Welcome to today's episode of Influence by Design. I'm your host today, Samantha Riley, and diving into one of my favorite topics, as anyone that listens to the show would know, and that is how human design intersects with business. And today I have Mary Jo Rathgeb on the show, who is a life transitions coach, and she empowers clients to shed people-pleasing patterns while navigating change. Like, who doesn't want to do that? (laughs) So they are free to be who they really are, not who they think they should be. She's a professional certified coach, certified RIM facilitator, and a human design consultant. Welcome to the show, Mary Jo. Thank you, Samantha. Glad to be here. I'm super looking forward to our conversation today. Why don't you start off by sharing a little bit about how you got into human design? Was it, you know, how long ago was it? And what was it that kind of stood out to you that made you go, yeah, I want to, like, this is the thing. This is the thing. So I was introduced to human design in 2016. So that is six years now. And what stood out for me was the systematic way that it's not subjective, really. It's like you get your blueprint and that's what shows you, you know, what to look for. And so, you know, I was actually studying some other more, I'm going to call more subjective modalities at the time. And so what stood out for me for human design was just, it's, you know, you get your chart and you see what's in it. Mm Mm-hmm. And you certainly do like nothing else that I've ever experienced before. (laughs) I remember the first, you know, I'd known a little bit about human design, but the first time someone unpacked my chart, I was like, this is almost a little bit spooky. How does she know this about me? Oh, you know, because you look at the chart and it's the weirdest looking thing ever. Yes. But the amount of information in it is just incredible. Let's put a bit of context, I guess, into this conversation. There's five different types in human design. Can you just unpack a little bit for us what each of those five types are and specifically how you think that, how we relate to business as that type and some of the things that we should look out for? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So the first type that I'm going to start with is the manifester. Mm -hmm. And the manifester is approximately 9% of the population. And they are the ones who are really here to initiate. They are the ones that can take an idea, some kind of internal thing and say, you know what, I'm going to do this. And then 
tell everyone who's going to be impacted by it so that they don't get resistance and then just go ahead. So they are the true initiators in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's only a very small percentage of people. Mm -hmm. You know, the largest segment of the types is a generator. And that's actually split into two, which gives us the five. So there's the generator and the manifesting generator. Mm -hmm. And the generators is about together combined about 70% of the population. And so we live in a generator world. And the generators are actually here to do the work. They're the builders of the world. And they're here to master whatever their work is. And for them, the correct strategy way to enter into what they're doing for work or business is to respond to it from a guttural, sacral, uh uh-huh, uh-uh, a yes or no, that is a mechanical response from their body, basically. And so when they're able to enter into work or business in that way, then it's correct for them. Mm -hmm. They override that, then they enter into work or business that is actually not correct for them and can lead to frustration and burnout. Mm, I'll put my hand up here. I'm a generator and I <laughs> and I have done that and I know how that plays out. So I'm very glad that I found human design. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and the difference is, you know, with you, you know, you're a pure generator, right? Mm-hmm. And so you've got that guttural uh-huh, uh-huh kind of response. The manifesting generator is is sort of a hybrid where they are generator first, they get their gut response, and then they can initiate like a manifester. And so there's a sort of a two-step process with them, but mm-hmm. they're first and foremost generators. Mm-hmm. So that's important to know. Cool. So the manifesting generators. Mm-hmm. And then I guess next you're going to go with your type. Yes. And then the next <laughs> one is projectors. Uh-huh. So I am a projector, put my hand up, say that's what I am. And that's about 20% of the population. And the projectors are, you know, they're here to be the guides of the world and help them going to direct the energy of the energy types, which generators and manifestors are. However, the strategy for a projector is to wait to be invited and recognized for their talents. And so the trick with a projector, if you will, is to really have patience and wait for other people to recognize what your talents are so that you can enter into your work or business in a correct manner. But also what makes a projector a projector is that they do not have the defined sacral that the generators have, which leads to that workforce, life force, energy that the generators have. So projectors are not built to work in the same way that a generator is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, and then the manifestor, what makes a manifestor manifestor is that they actually have what's called a motor to the throat. And so they are able to manifest on demand because in the game of human design, all of the energy is trying to get to the throat center. And that's the center for manifestation. It's the center for speaking and the center for doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Awesome. And then we've got our final type. Yes. 
Our final type are the reflectors. Those are very rare, uh, 1% of the population. And they actually have what's been no definition in their chart. So in human design, we have nine energy centers. And whenever they're hooked up by a channel, then you have what's called definition, which is what creates your type. And a reflector has no definition in their chart at all. And so what that means is that they are a non-energy type and that they are, you know, here to really be the canaries in the coal mine. They are here to reflect back the health of the community, you know, or the environment that they are in. And their strategy is to wait an entire month mm. before making a decision. Mm. I know that when I first started, you know, diving into human design and, you know, I would read in a book about reflectors and the conclusion that I came up with on my own was, and this is going to be a bit funny to you, was that these people, because they've got no energy centers, I had assumed that they're going to be quite low vibe people. Like, mm. oh, I had this vision of them having no energy, you know, not able to make decisions. Like, I didn't really paint a great picture in my mind of who they were. <laughs> and then I was a witness to, with my coach, a reflector panel. So she had a panel of reflectors. And because we were all so excited to see what it was all about, what came back to us and what I did not expect was this huge amount of excitement and passion to be there. And I was like, whoa, this is incredible <laughs> because what they were doing was reflecting back to us who were there or just, you know, wanting to learn. And that, and it was really, really interesting to me to, to witness that. And then I guess they probably went away and, and after having all of that energy and excitement, they probably needed some time to rest and to, to regenerate. <laughs> Right, to like diffuse it all out. <laughs> I've just used it all up. But yeah. I'm really glad that I saw that because it was just such a beautiful experience to see the reflectors there. However, I've got a question. Mm -hmm. With business and the way that we are, you know, we're taught to do business at warp speed and, you know, we put our offers into the world and it's, you need to make your decision right now or else you're going to miss out. How is this playing out for us when we all, even though you said they're rare, they're 1%, that's still a lot of people in the world, right? Because 1% of lots of billions is still a lot of people. Right. How do we still ensure that we look after these people? And because if it takes them a lunar cycle to decide to, if they want to work with us, for example, how do we not exclude them? Hmm. Well, what you do is you stay in dialogue with them because basically the way that they make decisions isn't just by like inactively waiting a month. The way that they actually make decisions is by using people as sounding boards and, you know, like talking things out and hearing it reflected back, if you will, at them. And they're not looking for advice. Like when they want to talk to people, it's like they're not looking for advice per se, but what they're looking for is that sounding board where they can throw something out and see what, you know, what they hear. And at the same time, you know, one of the, you know, the moon makes a cycle and it goes through the entire hexagram in one month. And so what they're doing is they are getting different hookups through the transits during that entire time. And so they are able to sample like the entire wheel, if you will, of the 64 hexagrams during that time. And so by the time that they, you know, have gone through the revolution, 
they have explored and researched and, and experienced and felt and just come to, they know what is right. I love that. And my little sacral that makes decisions really quickly and instantly is almost a little bit jealous that they get to experience all of that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you get to experience all of that in every open center that you have. (laughs) Absolutely. As well. So I was having a bit of a play with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now you're a projector and projectors are the guides. Yeah. I just want to mention one other thing. Oh, absolutely. About your question. Yeah. About it's not about reflectors, but it's about 50% of the population who are emotional priorities. Uh-huh. And I don't know if you're getting to that and I'm jumping the gun or not. No, go for it. It relates to your question because, you know, when you talk about like you need to make a decision immediately, you know, when we talk about the six different authorities, the first one that half of the population has is emotional authority. Mm-hmm. And When you have emotional authority, you are waiting for, you're riding your emotional wave, and there could be three different types of waves, and you might have multiple ones, and you're waiting for that still point, that moment of clarity, when you know what the right decision is as best you can. And it could take days. Mm -hmm. And so the one thing that an emotional person, emotional authority person should not do (laughs) is to be spontaneous. And so, you know, so when someone is pressuring you to make a decision on the spot, you already know, and this is just good for, I think, any business owner to know, is that half of the population isn't designed to make a decision on the spot like that. Mm -hmm. And if they make a decision that isn't right for them, they're not going to be happy. Mm. And they may end up being problematic. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I like that you actually add that last little bit because this is actually really important because, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, attracting your ideal clients and, you know, if they're giving you problems, they may not be your ideal clients. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily think that that's 100% true and you've just articulated why. And I know I'm a sacral authority as we just spoke about but my husband's an emotional authority. And and I've spoken about this on the show many times before in the understanding that he's an emotional authority has changed the way that our household runs a lot. And when I think about any time before I knew about human design and, you know, I would decide, hey, like, or, or say, hey, I want to do this particular trip. Actually, I think about this particular day. I was like, hey, I decide, like, I want to go to New Zealand. Something had happened and I was like, yeah, let's go. I want to go to that conference. Let's go to New Zealand. And I threw it at him. And what I didn't realize at the time is I gave him a lot of pressure to Mm. give me an answer on the spot. And he could tell that I really wanted to go. And he said, yes. So I booked the tickets straight away. We never went to New Zealand. That did not play out well (laughs) because (laughs) (laughs) once he'd settled on that and did what he needed to do, he was like, the timing's not right. We shouldn't go. There's these other things going. And we didn't go. And he was dead right. We shouldn't have gone. I'd responded, but without all of the data, if that makes sense. Mm. And I think that that's really important to understand that sometimes a client that we think may be problematic may not actually be it's just that we force them to make a decision in the wrong way right yeah 
Yeah. So I really like that. And so when you talk about how does in, you know human design impact my own business and how I deal with clients is you know if I don't know what their human design is and if I do know what their human design is you know I err on the side of half of them have emotional authority and so I will give them time to make a decision and then not say you have to make a decision this second and just book a time you know, in the future, a few days from now or a week from now to have another conversation because, you know, because I don't want somebody to sign up for something and they're just like, oh, you know, why did I say this? It was like, you know, I was, they don't even have the words. I was up in my wave and I had no idea. (laughs) And now I'm like, you know, regretting it. Not entering into the contract correctly for them. Yes, exactly. Yeah, love that. Now, you are a projector, as we've talked about, and you're a business owner. Mm -hmm. Projectors are not here to work in the same way that that our generator world is putting out there. Yes. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I really want to dive into how this has, I guess, changed or or affected the way that you've run business. It's dramatically changed the way that I run business. And, you know, I'm still learning (laughs) as I go. But a year ago, I was working like 12 hours a day, (laughs) you know, six or seven days a week. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That's also known as projected burnout. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I, you know, it started to affect my health. And I had to really, like, take a look back and be like, okay, what is going on? And I really realized that I was like, not living true to my design. I was, you know, working too hard. I was, you know, like, just pushing, trying to make things happen. And so I decided to live an experiment. Mm-hmm. live my human design. And I actually, you know, I've got an open spleen, I have an open heart, and I and an open Ajna or, you know, mind. And I realized that I was letting those open centers run me and my business as opposed to really tuning into what my definition and my type you know, were. And so I actually, and the reason that's important is because with the, you know, the open spleen, you hold on to things for too long, you know, with the open heart, it's like, you're trying to prove yourself and your value and your worth and the mind you're trying to be, you know, certain. And so I just, I let it go. And I actually started letting things go and just unraveling everything and then open space up for opportunities to come in. And then, you know, decide if that was what I was going to do or not. And so since then, that's how I have been living and running my business. And, you know, and it's funny because you mark, it's like nine o'clock at night, my time here today, a year ago, I would be doing the same thing, but I would have been working since nine in the morning. Wow. This time, I started much later in the day, knowing that my day was going to be longer mm-hmm. than usual. And so, you know, so it's things like that. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. And I just want to go back and give that a little bit of context is in that 
projectors are not designed to work the same amount of hours as a generator. Well, as a generator. Yeah. I mean, manifestors aren't actually, and neither are reflectors. No. So, you know, it's only the generator types that have that defined sacral who are here to really do the, you know, the heavy lifting, the work of the world, you know, the builders and to really master that. And, but it is 70% of the world. <laughs> so it's a majority. Yeah. There's a lot of us busy bees around. <laughs> yes. Right. And when a projector like myself is acting like a busy bee, then it leads to, you know, burnout or health problems or, you know, other issues. And so I really had to, you know, take a look at what, you know, what was really going on there and balance between, you know, you are not a generator. (laughs) As much as you would like to be one some days, you're just not. And so, you know, accepting that. And so waiting for the invitation is not always easy. And, you know, it takes a lot of patience and trust and surrender. But but at the same time, it also affords me the opportunity to do things that I'm really, you know, interested in. And, you know, so so I am finding it okay. (laughs) Absolutely. You come very highly recommended. So I think you're doing more than okay. (laughs) Let's talk about those strategies a little bit. You talked about wait for the invitation. And I know that there's a lot of projectors. And I know this because I've got a few clients that are projectors that really, I don't want to use the word struggle. They're challenged by this waiting for the invitation. Like they don't really understand what it means because it doesn't really mean just sit on your hands and sit around and wait and do nothing. So what are some of the things that you've done so that you're open to these invitations? So, you know, so basically the idea of being, you know, waiting for the invitation is that just by being who you are, people will be drawn to you, you know, as you go about doing your thing. And so what I do is my thing, you know, I do what is going to be, you know, interesting, challenging, growth inducing, all these things. But I also put myself into groups of people (laughs) that I think, you know, will be my people. And I'm putting that in air quotes because sometimes they are and sometimes they're not. Mm -hmm. But that's part of the experiment, if you will. And so, you know, one of the challenges, and particularly during the pandemic when everyone's at home, is, you know, you're not going out to networking events or coffee shops or, you know, events in live and in person, which can be something that projectors can do when everything opens back up, you know, or maybe they were doing before that. But projectors need people. Mm. Projectors need generators. Projectors need manifestors. And, you know, so being able to be in the right place where someone is going to be able to recognize you for your gifts and talents and then want to you know, invite you into the opportunity. That's kind of the secret sauce, if you will, that I play with. (laughs) Yeah. I know that we connected because I put it out to someone that I was having a chat with and, you know, he said, how can I help? And I said, Hey, I'm looking for, I really need a human design coach and for my business to help my clients. And it was such an offhanded comment. And he just goes, 
I know exactly the right person. And it was quite incredible. And I don't know if you remember, but he introduced us via email. And then our very first conversation, you're like, yeah, I just kind of put it out to the universe last week. (laughs) Right. That something would fall in my lap. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm also guessing that energetically you're clear on what it is that you want so that you're sure that you're sort of inviting those invitations in. Well, I'm certainly clear on what, yes, I would say that. And, but I have also, you know, cleared out things that I, you know, may have been hanging on to in addition. So it's a leap of faith and trust in a certain way as well. Yep. But it happened really fast. (laughs) That happened super fast. When you told me that story, I was like, wow, there was some energy that was helping us out that day. I can tell you. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, yes. So anyway, the last thing I want to say about that, though, is that sometimes the invitation takes a while and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes they last a long time and sometimes they don't. And so, you know, so knowing, you know, what is the right, you know, what is an invitation? What is the right invitation? And when has it ended are kind of the important pieces to the invitation situation. Yeah. I just want to go back and cover off the authorities for the other types quickly, seeing that we've sort of dived into that one, because if people are listening and they're like, that's really great, but I'm a manifester or I'm a reflector and I want to know more about that. Can we just go back to the manifester? And obviously you mentioned that was to initiate. Mm-hmm. I feel, and I could be wrong, that this is probably the easiest strategy in business because we're taught to initiate a lot. But what have you seen with that? Well, I would say that (laughs) in theory, it's the easiest. If you have a manifester who is actually living the design, then I would say, yes, they can, you know, but um, they also know how to inform because that's one of the things that they're supposed to do is to inform other people before they go ahead and do what they're going to do. Because if they don't, then what happens is they're catalyzing people into action and people are like going, whoa, 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 what is going on? And they meet with, what are we doing here? (laughs) All this resistance. And so they're like, no, wait, what? No, you know, what do you, what do you mean (laughs) we're doing whatever? And so, you know, so they still have their own strategy that they need to deal with. And because their impulses aren't necessarily even necessarily verbal, let's say, you know, they're just like, oh, I got this great idea. I'm going to go do it. You know, it's hard for them to stop and be like, okay, who do I need to tell? (laughs) (laughs) I don't really want to because they're going to, you know, put up a fuss. Uh But if I want this to go smoothly, that's what I got to do. And then, you know, the, you know, not self theme is anger. And so, if they don't follow their strategy and they start getting all this resistance, they can get very angry. And so people might be like, you know, they're really hard to work with. They just get angry a lot, you know? So you never know. (laughs) I would say that, you know, there's no better design than someone else. It's like just, you know, whatever design you have is the design that you get to work with and you get to play with and experiment with. Mm. So love that. And to respond So this is for the generators and the manifesting generators. Can you talk a little into what that means and how you've seen this play out for people in business? So you've been doing it a little bit as we've been talking. I've been hearing you (laughs) kind of saying, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> as we've been speaking. And so the response for a generator who has a defined SQL center is, is this mechanical gut response of a huh, uh-uh, or a yes or a no. Or it could even be sort of like a leaning in or a leaning out. You tell me, how do you experience? Definitely. I've learned to understand what this feeling in my gut is. Mm-hmm. And I did this exactly how you mentioned it before. I really took it on as an experiment mm-hmm. and I started to respond to people and feel how it felt in my gut. And I've also learned from speaking to so many people that we all feel it a little bit differently. So it's not something that I, you know, I say, this is how it's going to be. Right. But for me, it's like this warm feeling in the sort of in my lower abdomen and I and it's almost like this heavier sort of warm feeling and I know if I get that feeling I'm good to go and if it feels and when I say heavy it actually when it feels heavy without the warmth I find it very difficult to describe but even as I'm saying it, I can feel it I know that that's a no and the only way I started to get to know that feeling was just to do a lot of sacral sessions with people you know, I would get people to ask me questions all the time that were that were definite answers so that... Yeah, yes or no. Yeah, so I could start to understand what that feeling was. And then what I did was started to think back, okay, so with these collaborations that didn't end well or when I went into a discussion about an event or something that, you know, I got partway through or even at the beginning where I felt like, oh, I don't really want to do this. I started to think back and start to put together that that feeling and that outcome and started to understand how it played out for me. And that's been really beneficial to really understand what that feeling is. So now when I get it and it's so instant, it's just like it's either a hell yes or a hell no. And the first time I tried it where I knew it was a hell no, I felt really uncomfortable because I was talking with someone And I really want to bring this up because it was so powerful to go through this situation. But I was talking with someone that I've known for a very long time. We've done a lot of collaborations together. And this one thing that was coming into onto the table, it just, it had such a heavy feeling around it. And logically I couldn't understand why, because it made so much sense. And I just said to that person, look, I've got to be really honest now. It's a no. And I'm not saying it's a no forever. It's just a no right now. And it was the first time I'd actually done that. Wow. And it felt really different to say. Yeah. And because of the feeling I got after that, I was like, no, it's got to be this way from this point forward. Because in hindsight, if I had have said yes, that would not have ended well. Mm, Yeah, that's very powerful. And so when you do that, then it's one really big success leads to continuing the experiment. Well, it doesn't mean that that other person was happy about it. No. That person may have still been disappointed. Maybe it still didn't work out for that person. But here's what I know is that it has to work for us. Yes. And it wasn't about hurting someone else or being mean to someone else or being nasty or anything like that. But that one moment of potentially letting someone down is better than having a business transaction go really wrong. Yeah. I would actually even take it a step further and say that 
if it's not right for you, then it actually isn't right for the other person either. Ooh, I like and that. that you're not letting someone down. You're actually, you know, letting both of you off the hook from what could have been a bad situation. Totally love that. Love that. And reflectors, can you just speak to that really quickly as well? Their authority. Their authority. Well, we talked about it already. Their authority is waiting the whole month cycle. And so, you know, it's strategy. So just to refresh everyone, it's like, you know, they yeah. interact with people, use them as sounding boards, take as long time as they can. Because in this day and age, a month is a very hard amount of time for most people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they may actually know before that. So I would just say, you know, take as much time as you want up to an entire month, ideally. <laughs> Perfect. All right. I want to talk more into your experiences. You talked about, so we talked about this, the, we've talked about your type strategy. I want to talk a bit about your profile. You're a one, three profile. Now there's, yes. how many profiles are there? I don't know these numbers off by hand. Six, no, 12. Oh, and- there's 12, there's 12, yeah. 12 yeah. profiles. Sorry. I'm <laughs> thinking six lines. No, all good. <laughs> there's 12 profiles. <laughs> and you're a one three and I was saying before we started recording they've actually got quite a few of my clients that are one three profiles mm-hmm. can you talk obviously when we don't have time to go through all 12 profiles today mm-hmm. but I would like you to talk into your one three profile a little what does profile mean what is a one three let's just start there before I just keep going on and on okay yeah so your profile it's basically derived from your conscious and unconscious sun in your body graph. And what it is, is that it's the role that you play in the world. It's how you move through the world. And you have, like I've already said, there's a conscious piece of it. The first number, the one for me, and an unconscious piece for me is the three. And so what happens is, is that you may be more aware of what your conscious number, your, your conscious profile number is but not necessarily your unconscious profile. And the two of them may have some kind of tension in them that makes it like you need to, you know, like really be able to adapt and and be flexible. And the example I'll give for myself is the one, the investigator. This is someone who likes a lot of information and does a lot of research and wants to really understand something in order to feel really safe and secure and you know doesn't necessarily want to put anything out there let's say until they feel like they know enough that it's going to be like okay you know I feel really grounded in what I'm about to do or say or put out there the 3 which is the unconscious part is the experimenter <laughs> and so the 3 learns by trial and error And so it actually has to go out there and just try stuff and then, you know, learn from what, you know, what transpires. And so the the tension there between the one wanting to know everything there is to know under the sun before it like opens its mouth and says anything. And the three, which is actually designed to just try and see, Yeah, (laughs) Um, you know, so from a work perspective, for me, it gave me that permission, if you will, that I needed to be able to be like, okay, this doesn't have to be perfect. This, you know, just throw something out there and see what happens. And so that's, you know, that's a really important 
thing that I learned from the one three. But I also give myself permission to look up information, do research, have some, you know, have some facts on my side, you know, so that I do feel a sense of groundedness. But at the same time, know that this is an experiment and we're just going to go out there and we're going to see what happens. Mm. Did you or do you find that you get caught up being in this one profile a lot more and thinking, oh, I'm not ready to put it out there yet. Let me just do a little bit more research or let me. Oh, yeah, that's definitely it's, <laughs> it's definitely a you know much more comfortable place to be in the one for me than it is to be in the three. But knowing that the three is there and, you know, it was just like, really? Wow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, OK. <laughs> you know. <laughs> For anyone that's not watching that, when you just did that, okay, that was like the absolute, the vision of, all right, we'll just let it be. We give up. We're going to stop fighting. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Surrender. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Now you've written a chapter in a book, which Mm -hmm. called Stop Overworking and Stop Overflowing. I love the title. I think it's really cute. Can you tell <laughs> yes. us a little bit? Ha ha! Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the sort the chapter that you've written and yes, you know why why this is a great book for us, even what the book's about. Right. Well, so yeah, so the subtitle to it is twenty five ways to transform your life using human design, and so it's completely relevant to what we're talking about. And you know, there were twenty five different authors. I had a chapter in it, chapter six. And my chapter was called Stop Overwork. No, that's the name of the book. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's not the name of my chapter. The chapter was Retirement Reimagined, an invitation to let go and create flow. And the reason that I wrote my chapter was because it was a year ago (laughs) when I was sitting at my desk at, you know, 1230, 1030 at night, you know, and just realizing that my work life had gotten out of control. And so I really started that experiment of you know, really letting go of things and then making that space for new invitations. And then as they came in, really assessing if they were the right ones and then also assessing how long do they last. And so the retirement piece was you know, letting go of all of the things that I may have been either struggling with or hanging on to for too long. And then, you know, really reinventing what I was doing in the process. Mm, love it. Where can we go to get a copy of that? Okay. Yeah. So you could go to Amazon. It's on Amazon mm-hmm. and stop overworking and start overflowing. And the lead author is Christy Sullivan. And yeah, it's a bestseller on Amazon. So I'm sure you will be able to find it if you look for it. Awesome. Well, of course, we'll put the, the link in the show notes as we always do. I'll certainly go and get a copy because I love reading yeah. anything to do with human design. It's just such a fascinating topic to me. Yes. It certainly changed my life and certainly changed the way that I do business and helping other people to be able to do this is just such a beautiful thing. It really helps people so much to find their flow, get into alignment and see what happens in their business yeah. and watching people experience something that maybe they've wanted for such a long time and couldn't quite put their finger on why it wasn't working. Yes. And all of a sudden having it work is just 
incredible as I'm sure you see all day every day yourself yes yes and you too as well absolutely Mary Jo it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today and talking about what like I said one of my favorite subjects and thank you so much for shining your light well thank you thank you Samantha Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Influence by Design podcast. If you want more, head over to samanthariley.global forward slash podcast for the show notes and links to today's gifts and sponsors. And if you're looking to connect with other coaches and experts who are growing and scaling their business too, come and join the Coaches Course Creators and Speakers group on Facebook. The links are all waiting for you over at samanthariley.global.